the Bible Study Podcast, episode 234. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of 1 Samuel with chapter 13. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As you may recall, in the last episode, we were looking at 1 Samuel 12, and we saw Saul finally growing into the role of king. Saul finally taking up the mantle of king and leading his people to victory over the Amorites. In this chapter, chapter 13, things go wrong. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Aven. Then the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said to them, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about six hundred. So already in this chapter, Saul is told that his line will not continue. He has not been king for all that long. And it's a tough chapter because it doesn't really on the surface look like Saul did much that was wrong. David, who is that man after the Lord's own heart, will do worse things than this, apparently. He will have somebody killed. He will sleep with his wife. Things that seem like they would warrant a more serious punishment. And what Saul has done is he has been impatient, certainly, although not without cause. He's waited seven days and Samuel didn't get there at the right time. And he's been nervous that basically his army was disappearing and he bit off more than he can chew, it looks like here, to attack the Philistines. He'd won a victory over the Amorites and was probably a little arrogant at this point. But it seems that when you are fighting someone whose army is more soldiers than the sands of the sea, that probably you should have thought of that first. 
And Saul doesn't have any chariots, and he's really in a tough situation. His army starts to melt away. They're quaking with fear. And so he performs the act that the priest should perform. He is unfaithful to God. He is disobedient. Why is it that this disobedience that Saul has, which is towards a good purpose, is more serious than the disobedience of David? Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. What God sees is what is Saul's heart. And he says that Saul is not a man after his own heart. That does beg the question of why Saul was made king in the first place. And there's not a good answer to that, except perhaps as a lesson to us of half-hearted and whole-hearted. And so we'll have to see, as David is introduced into this story, the difference between Saul and David to see if over time in the narrative we can discern what it is about David that God liked better, or what it is about David that God liked better for the king of Israel. Continuing on with the story, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with him were staying at Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, and another towards Beth Haran, and the third towards the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboyim facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plows, points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier was Saul, and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of the Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. And that's an awkward way to end the chapter, but that's the way the people who later on put in the chapter markers decided to. But we're going to pause here for a second. So one of the things we learn is that the Philistines have been oppressing Israel. And because they've been oppressing Israel, they have set it up so that Israel can't have weapons to fight against them, which is a smart move if you happen to be somebody who is oppressing another country. And so they have made it so that it's illegal or quite possibly fatal for anybody who is an Israelite to be a blacksmith. And so because of that, only Saul and his son Jonathan, and Jonathan was introduced in this chapter and we'll see more of him, have real weapons, a sword and a spear. Continuing on into the next chapter, 1 Samuel 14. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom were Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahatub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sena. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come, then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we climb to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, that we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Jonathan is an interesting person, and we are really just starting to get to know him in this chapter. And one of the things that I'd first say about this chapter is, as you're pronouncing names in the Old Testament, just do it with confidence, and people will think you know what you're talking about. And then it also helps if you're editing the audio, so that the many times that you screw up, you can get rid of that. But anyway, back to Jonathan. Jonathan is someone who does seem to be, in all the places that we encounter him, a man after God's own heart. While his father Saul, we will see more and more over time, is not. Jonathan is a man of courage, as we see here. He's a man of faith. And he's a man of loyalty, as we'll see later on. And we can only guess that some time has passed since Saul was first king, because Saul was king at 30. So unless Jonathan is 15 and born when his father was 15, we're probably a few years into Saul's reign by this point. But Jonathan basically is a man who believes that God will deliver them and that it doesn't matter then whether they have a big army or a small army. His faith is not in the size of the army, but in God. Maybe that's the problem that Saul had. Remember back in Judges, Gideon is told he has too large an army and that God wants him to know that the victory is God's. And so God winnows down Gideon's army from thousands to 300. Well, Jonathan understands that that principle, that it matters who is on your side. And if the who is God, then it really doesn't matter how many other people there are. And he understands that even 300 is more than you need if God is on your side. And so he puts this fleece before the Lord is what we'd say, and that's what Gideon did. He puts this test. He says, if God wants us to have victory over them, then they will say this. And so he takes it as a sign when they say to climb up. So he climbs up and he kills 20 of the Philistines. Now, there may have only been 20 there. There may have been more who scattered before him. But this is one of those sort of Hollywood heroes who seems untouchable in the moment. But Jonathan understands that he is untouchable because God is with him. Contrast that to what his father did in the last chapter, where his father is unfaithful because the numbers start to seem to be a problem. Jonathan understands it's not who else is with us if we start with God. And his armor bearer also shows great courage, too, his armor bearer who goes with him. Continuing on with this chapter, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor-bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God. 
At the time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his army assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up to them to their camp went over to the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on the day the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth Aven. Now, the interesting thing is, remember this story started with an army that had 3,000 chariots and charioteers and soldiers more numerous than the sands in the sea. That is certainly the count that was made by someone who is filled with fear. And one man and his armor bearer, who is not filled with fear, who the Lord was with, went and started what turned into the Lord's victory. The Lord then starts shaking the ground, and this rumor comes of unbeatable soldiers, and people start fighting each other, and Israelites apparently have been serving with the Philistines. Why not? They're the, they're the winning guys. They come back to Saul's side at this point, too. Everybody loves a winner. And at this point, the Philistines are defeated, even though it was very, very unlikely that they would be at the beginning. If you had to put your bets and you looked at the situation and you forgot about the fact that God was fighting with the Israelites, you would have bet on the Philistines. But this is an interesting thing that comes. Now, the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had brought the people under an oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went up to the woods, they saw honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? That day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and, taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating the meat that has blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, Go out among the men and tell them, Each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, Let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn, and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, Let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, Shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescued Israel lives, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. 
but not one of them said a word. Saul said to all the Israelites, You stand over there, and I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, Why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is with me or my son Jonathan, respond with Urim, but if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with Thummim. Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot, and the men were cleared. Saul said, Cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew to their own land. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side, Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zeba, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hand of those who had plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Maklishua. The name of his older daughter was Merab, and that of his younger was Michael. His wife's name was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaaz. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner, and Ner was Saul's uncle. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Ner, were sons of Abiel. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines, and whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. We start to see in this story of Jonathan and Saul some of Saul's rashness. Saul wasn't told by God to have the men make an oath that they wouldn't eat and nearly loses his son because of that oath. And basically, because he doesn't lose his son, he's actually guilty of being an oath breaker. So it's a difficult situation, and it's a difficult situation, as Jonathan says, that Saul created for himself. He has caused trouble for himself this day. And a day that was full of victory and possibly could even have been complete victory, Saul cause problems for himself because of his rashness. And it won't be the last time we see the rashness of Saul. But this is a very long episode of the Bible Study Podcast, so we will wait and see that rashness next time. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.